0: everyone. I am super excited to welcome you to the start of season four. I hope you have been enjoying our look back at some of the older episodes. I know I have because it has been very cool to see how far the show has come. Uh, The interviews are still awesome, but I would say sound quality and everything else has improved hopefully over time. If you've been a listener since day one, I just want you to know that you are absolutely appreciated. Thank you for following and listening and subscribing and sharing and shouting out. And if you joined us any point after that, same to you. Thank you for joining. And I hope you'll continue to listen um, because I believe there's just some great stories that deserve to be told. Uh, if you'd asked me a couple years ago when I started this show if I thought that I would still be doing this... I'm not sure I would have said yes. I have jokingly said that this podcast is probably one of the most consistent things I've ever done in my life, as hard and as much work as it is. And so the fact that this is even season four is amazing to me. So with that, we're getting ready to kick off the season. And one of the things that I wanted to do in the spirit of looking back was actually revisit with one of my old guests. So if you happen to have been following from the beginning or you've gone back, you know that season one, episode one, started with Dana Saxon. Dana is someone that I've known for a long time. I was introduced to her from another third culture kid slash expat. I have actually met and hung out with her in person, which I can't say for all the wonderful people I've met globally who are in this space. But I will say she is just as cool in person as she is online and virtually. Dana had been living in the Netherlands for quite a few uh, years when I met her. And when we recorded her first episode, she actually had just moved from the Netherlands to the UK. And this was in the middle of 2020 with everything going on at the height of the pandemic, the aftermath of the George Floyd murder, and everything that was swirling around that. And in the middle of all that chaos, somehow... Dana decided to move to a, a new country. And so Dana, who is the founder of Ancestors Unknown, which is an amazing platform that really looks at my migration stories, has been in the u k. for a couple of years since since her first episode. And I wanted to revisit with her because I wanted to know what's changed, what stayed the same you know what's going on with her and so the great thing about me and Dana is that our conversations are pretty unfiltered and so (laughs) I guess for you as an audience you get to hear all the unfiltered parts of that (laughs) the good the bad and the extra and so for the first time this season welcome to the global chatter All right. You are listening to the latest episode of the global chatter podcast. And today's episode for me is a special one, because if you've been listening to the show for a while, and especially if you've been listening from the beginning, you will know from the introduction that my guest today actually was the very first guest and episode of the global chatter podcast back in 2020. And so My friend Dana is here with me today. And how are you, Dana? Oh,
1: Amanda, I'm so happy to be here. I'm doing great. It's great to see you. It's great to be back.
0: We were talking offline. And let's be honest, I am a shocked that I've even gotten this far that I've done enough episodes that you can come back on the show. (laughs) Because if if any of you have followed the story, you know, the podcast started in 2020. We were oh my gosh, the first year of the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's like the world fell apart March, 2020. Yep, I remember. And <laughs> yeah, and we, we were all at home in our respective countries. And I was just thinking of different ways to be able to capture the stories that we were already putting on the Black Expat website. And so the podcast was born because, you know, you are one of several people that I talk to fairly rarely about just in general. And it's not necessarily about expatriation, but who is an expat. And when I decided to do this podcast and the episode launched in September. I am so amazed and, and grateful that you were willing to be, I, I hate to say it, but a guinea pig because I, I never had my own podcast. I've been on other podcasts, but, <laughs> 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 and so you, you so gratefully and willfully came onto the show. And so I wanted to have you back on. Oh, I love it. Time has passed and why not? So I think for, for folks who don't know who you are, I always like to start with where in the world are you?
1: Physically or mentally? <laughs> I'll, start, <laughs> I'll start with physically. <laughs> I am physically located in Bristol in England, not to be confused with Brixton, which is often sometimes a mistake people make. Bristol is about an hour and a half train ride from London uh, in the Southwest region of England. Um, yeah, so that's where I am located. since Since we last spoke, I was in twenty in twenty twenty I was also in Bristol,
0: not to be confused with Bristol, Tennessee. But I think that they could gather that you don't have a Tennessee accent, so no. that's not
1: Never <laughs> that's not in Tennessee.
0: Actually, I've, I've been to Bristol. I mean, you're you're not missing a whole lot, okay. <laughs> but it's it's like where is that It's I think it's like Eastern. It's Eastern Tennessee on the uh, and Western. Not West Virginia, but Western Virginia is on the other side. So I've I've crossed in there. But I remember thinking she's moving to Bristol when you said you were moving to Bristol. I did have a moment thinking to myself, is she moving to Tennessee, and then I'm like, no, no, that that's not no. Dana wouldn't do that. So (laughs) I was like, (laughs) she wouldn't do that. (laughs) I'm like, you're like she wouldn't do that. And so I mean, here's here's the thing. I think people who know you, they may know that prior to the United Kingdom, your move, you lived in the Netherlands for a very long time.
1: I moved out of the United States in 2011, so that's when I moved to Amsterdam, uh, and I stayed there for about eight years. I I did a little bit of off and on because I lived in Suriname for about a year in the middle there, and then for a chunk of time, I returned to the States for a little less than a year. I was in Chicago taking care of my mom when she was uh, struggling with cancer. Thankfully, she's much better now. Yeah. But yeah, so I had some off and on so that eight years wasn't a straight line. But I do. I did consider myself a resident of the Netherlands for that whole time before I moved to England.
0: And so what I'm what I'm really interested in is and and folks can certainly go back to that episode. It's episode one, so it's easy to find people. Yeah. But <laughs> you can go back to that episode and listen to your story. But when we were first taught, when we first had you on the show, you had just really gotten, you know, acclimated to living in Bristol. I'm curious now that it's been a couple of years, what has that looked like for you? What has, what has life in Bristol just in general looked like for you?
1: Well, when I first, first arrived, technically it was before 2020 because I first moved here uh, at the beginning of a relationship. I'm not sure if I talked about that in the in our first conversation, because I was kind of keeping some of it under wraps. But I, yeah, so I kind of was visiting Bristol for the better part of a year before I officially moved. And I was getting a sense of the city, but I didn't feel acclimated. I didn't really feel like I lived here. And then when I really packed my stuff up and made the move, like you mentioned, that was in 2020. So lockdown started, I think, about two weeks after I arrived. So I was locked in, in uh, a house for really the, like the full six months that I was here because I didn't have my uh, residence permit yet. So I was here for six months to try to like get my bearings and, and get my residency straightened out. So that first six months was not really uh, real. Like it, it felt like, you know, kind of, if I, when I look back on it, it felt like it was a dream. Like none of I wasn't really getting out. I wasn't meeting people. And I just chose to use that time to focus on my work. I have my own business. So I was developing plans to, to one, make my business work here in England, in addition to where I, I started it in the Netherlands and also just trying to figure out my residency and trying to figure out how to not get COVID. So like 2020, was not really a time to get acclimated still. So uh, I felt like I had all these false starts. Now I did finally get my residence permit at the beginning of 21 in January 21. So I uh, went back to Chicago, got, you know, for a couple of months, applied for my residence permit and came back in 21 in, in January with a new apartment. And a, a fresh perspective, you know, it was still kind of lockdown, but it felt like I could get out more. I was walking around the city, exploring. I was doing more work, you know, with people uh, who are locally based. I was like, m- you know, meeting a few more people. So it didn't feel like I started living here officially until like almost a year after we spoke and we recorded that uh, first podcast. And that's when I really started to get to know Bristol. Now, since then, I've, you know, kind of had my ups and downs with the city and trying to figure out, is this where I'm going to be long term, I still haven't made that commitment. But I've, you know, gotten a sense that I can feel at home here, I do feel like, okay, this is uh, more comfortable than it had been. I feel like I've planted some false, or <laughs> I say false roots, because I, you know, I don't I just don't really know what two years from now will look like. But yeah, I've made my apartment feel like home. Like I mentioned, I've met some more people. I've been doing a lot more work with Ancestors Unknown here. And uh, yeah, so it's it's felt more comfortable, a lot more comfortable than it did the first time we spoke.
0: You know, I, I, I have decided the people I've spoken to who moved during COVID were kind of brave. Like that's where I've just landed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the fact that... And you are one of those people who we had a global pandemic, right? I mean, it's in varying stages right now, right? Wherever we are. But it's not, it's not 2020, which we all seem to distinctly remember mm-hmm. and that and then not remember any timing after that. <laughs> but to move in the middle of a pandemic, I can imagine is hard, right? And especially when we're talking about those questions around community and connections to a new place, because almost everyone I've talked to is like, we landed here. And then everything, you know, and here it could be anywhere in the world. And then everything was in lockdown, right? So it really impacted the kind of relationships and it impacted you kind of, you knowing a place in a way you knew the place that you were before, right? And I would imagine that's, that was your, probably your challenge. And so one thing I'm very curious for you is that, you know, now that you're starting to settle down and you, or you've been settling down and you're, you're knowing your new, it's not even new anymore, your area, your community a little bit more. How does community look different for you? Because I know you coming from the Netherlands, you had an established community and you have particularly an established Black woman, female community, right? Mm-hmm. Have you been able to replicate that or have you been able to build a different type of community while living in Bristol?
1: It's tough. It's like that's actually the main thing that I struggle with because I haven't established that sense of community here. And I think when I mentioned earlier that I'm not sure if this is where I want to stay long term, it's part of that's part of the reason that I don't feel like I have found my people. That's how I abbreviate it. Where are my people here? I'm not saying they're not in Bristol or even you know in other parts of England. I just haven't plugged into that strong sense of community yet. I've, I've plugged into a professional community, a network of social entrepreneurs, people who are working in education, even people who are uh, working, you know, uh, in some black political circles. Uh, but in terms of finding my home girls, <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. Found that yet. And um, when I go back to visit the Netherlands, even when I'm just seeing a few friends at a time, it's like, it reminds me, like, oh, this is what it feels like to have a sense of comfort and warmth from my friends, my people. So that's something that I'm still looking for. I even just a few days ago was looking on Meetup, you know, trying to see like what groups can I join and, you know, where are the progressive Black folks who are willing to, uh, you know, talk about things that are heavy and talk about things that are light and, and be a sense of support. But, you know, I just, I haven't quite found them yet. And yeah, so it's kind of an ongoing question of whether or not I'm looking in the wrong places or am I being too shy that, you know, that's part of one of the things that I've um been asking myself, I'm in my forties now and I am kind of tired. I'm tired of like going to places of being like, hi I'm, hi, I'm Dana. It's nice to meet you. I'm tired of that, Amanda. So, you know, I think that there are some elements of me being lazy with, with searching for community. I have to own that, but yeah, it has, it hasn't fallen in my lap. And I was really blessed to move to the Netherlands as an adult. I was a grown person when I moved there but I still was able to uh, find the right people and, and build upon that. Yeah. I just haven't had that same success here yet.
0: You know, I think there are two things at play to be fair. I think one real talk COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a big part of it. And I, and, and I, and I'm not just talking about the event, but I think it has shifted for a lot of people, their habits. Right. So when I think about, for example, you know, previously working in higher ed. This is just a very small sample or whatever. Prior to March, 2020, students were very accustomed to coming to class in person. Right. And then everything went virtual. Right. And then we were in this weird stage where then it was kind of like, it's, I mean, it's still hybrid now, but it was, it was still very much virtual. Right. And from a student affairs perspective, right. It shifted how you would have events for students. Cause students wouldn't necessarily come to things because they weren't used to these cohort of students were not used to coming to things because they had maybe finished the end of high school or the first couple of years in college virtually. And it's like, wait, we need them back in this space because it's like you, it's either you have to learn how to hang out with people or you have to be reminded on how you hang out with people. <laughs> Does exactly. that sound weird? No,
1: it's <laughs> totally true. How do you even talk to people, especially people right. that you're
0: you're meeting for the first time? Oh my like, gosh. What do you talk about? <laughs> and, 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 and I think you actually have touched on something, which is there has been such a shift in how we socially engage with people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and especially now, I, and I can think about this across all sectors, right? Like, you know, I mean, like I'm in the States, right? You can get food delivered. You can be on your phone. You can be highly entertained. You don't have to go to the movies, especially if the movie is going to be streamed through a platform. Like, you know, like if it's a Disney movie and you, you know, have a Disney subscription, you can get that movie streamed a couple of weeks later down if they've got that contract. Like we've completely changed our social norms, even with houses of worship, right? Like I, you know, it for some churches, it's like people are so used to watching and I'm, I'm using Christianity as an example, their church now on television, instead of actually physically going in, right? That it's like, well, why do I have to go in? Because I could just be in my pajamas and watch it on my big screen. So I think that we we are seeing kind of that impact. And I think for a lot of people, it's, is it safe? Especially if they have health concerns or they are just concerned, right? But like, should I be back out there? Especially we have far more people who aren't masked, at least in this part of the world. Mm -hmm. But then it's also like, how do I socialize? I haven't had to put on, it's funny, like even going to work hybrid, I had to put on pants. I had to put on shoes, right? And it's, I was, let me tell you the funniest thing. I was in the office the other day and I cannot stop laughing about this moment. I I, I have an there's open workspace and there was someone visiting, there was somebody who was visiting who I think was from one of the other offices. And she was waiting for someone to go to lunch and she was like two feet away from me and she was standing there and she just let out the loudest yawn like she had a purse she let out the (laughs) loudest yawn and then she looked around and she saw me and she's like i am so sorry i forgot how to behave once you're in it (laughs) i know because you can't put yourself on mute when you're in person Right, and and it was, and I looked at her and I couldn't stop laughing. She's like, "This is what happens when you've been working from home for almost three years. You don't know how to behave in yeah. the wild." Yeah, and so, exactly. and and so, I I think there's, I think that there's part of that. To be honest, I think it's there's a good part of it where all of us are trying to figure out how to engage back in person Mm -hmm. but i think the other thing too and i i was laughing when you're like look i'm in my 40s i like nobody's trying to do all of this and and here's the thing there's so many tiktoks that talk about this (laughs) how people who people are like in their 30s and 40s are really like there's got to be a better way to meet people because i can't and it doesn't matter whether it's socially or it's dating or whatever but i i keep laughing every time i see them because people literally are just like I don't want to do this. <laughs> I mean <laughs> there a lot of times we're talking about dating, but it still applies to like like relationships like non-romantic relationships yeah. where they're like nobody wants to make small talk yeah. and you're not trying to figure out if they like you or not. Like no one wants to do that. And so <laughs> Exactly. It's old. <laughs> I feel I I feel you. It cuz it takes energy. It, it takes really more does. energy.
1: <laughs> it really does. But yeah, I um think that there is even when you're trying to meet new people it's little payoff, you know, like you you go to social events and try to make small talk. And I don't know, these aren't necessarily like what you find out is like, I'm not really trying to hang out with you. To be <laughs> yes. What are we talking about? I You know, like, I have these moments, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm just wasting my time. So yeah, I struggle with it. I struggle with it with dating and with meeting um just people it's, it's just meeting people it's just people, it's just people. Space at an old old tired grumpy age you know? right <laughs> new people <in> it all. <laughs> and I got I got stuff to do you know what I'm saying I got work to do right so I take I take responsibility for the struggles that I've had I think you know a, that's
0: good a lot at of least. it
1: is is due to me and yeah so I I do still have I hold on to hope that yeah. you know, I will eventually plug into the right circles. I even got as far. I mentioned that I went on to meet up, but I even got as far as starting my own group. I I, I didn't yeah. want to pay for it because I wasn't sure if it was really worth it. But I set up a group called Black Women Who Brunch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was like, maybe these are my people because I'm black and I go to brunch, or I want to go to
0: brunch. Oh my gosh, I have a brunching group. Speaking of which, I think we're supposed to brunch like in two days. Yeah, no, no, no. I legitimately have a group. I think that that's the the key if you're of a certain age and you know, midday food is like the thing. Actually, it doesn't matter your gender, like midday food. Like that's, everyone can do that, right? Night is a little bit questionable because some of us like to sleep early, but <laughs> but you can do midday food. I think yeah. that's actually a brilliant idea. Thank no you. one ever really turns down brunch yeah I'm dead serious <laughs> and, and Bristol
1: has a really cool food scene I'm vegetarian so there's also a benefit of being really great for vegetarian food yeah and you know cool little restaurants and many of which I haven't been to part partially because when I first got here obviously we've talked about it ad nauseum but the COVID aspect so much was closed yeah but now that stuff is open and you know I you know I want to support small businesses especially but I don't find myself too driven to just sit in restaurants by myself. Yeah. So it's kind of a nice excuse to try new places, see more of the city and then hopefully find some, you know, like-minded people who want to um, hang out with me and, you know, yeah. be, be my people.
0: This episode is sponsored by the International Educator. Many of you know part of my professional background is both in career development and education, which means I get a number of educators asking me how they can launch their careers abroad. If that's you, you need the International Educator, which connects English-speaking teachers with opportunities at international schools around the world. Not only do you find out about vacancies, but you get much needed information on topics as varied as housing options, tax-free salaries, and professional development. And here's the thing, all subjects and grade levels are needed. For limited time only, Tie is offering discounts on memberships for Global Chatter listeners. So visit tieonline.com and use the promo code GLOBALCHATTER to save on your membership today. All right. So we're back from the break. And <laughs> and as we faded out, you, you may have heard a little bit about uh, from Dana's dog, who is at this point wholly part of the conversation. So if you're listening to this podcast, you know, we always keep it pretty real here. So you might occasionally hear an animal, a child, a partner, a fire truck, because <laughs> this is just real life. And so I, this actually sets it up very nicely for for something I, I wanted to ask you, Dana, because, you know, I ran the Black Expat for a while now, um, been talking about expatriation and, you know, just in the intro you gave earlier and, of course, your previous time on the podcast, plus you have written for the Black Expat, you know, it's interesting talking to folks who've been expats for a while because at some point I wonder, do you ever stop thinking about yourself as either an expat or just being in this expat lifestyle, and the reason I ask this is just because sometimes how it looks to someone on the outside is very different than the person who's just living their life. And so, where 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 do you kind of see yourself on the continuum?
1: Mm, I don't necessarily see myself as an expat. I I I'll always identify as a Black American because I think that. The culture is part of who I am, and, and that's undeniable. But I don't necessarily see myself constantly in relationship to an American nationality. Like I, I feel like my my place in the world is just where I'm located, and yeah, I don't have to constantly refer back to my patriot. You know, like that expatriate um, aspect of, of um, my movement. So, yeah, I just think of myself as. A resident of England, and you know, I, I have family in the United States. I was born, you know, born and raised in the United States, and then I live, I yeah, and I now live in England, and I might live somewhere else in the future. I do see myself as a long, you know, I, I will long in the long term be outside of the United States. I don't plan to return. So if people want to refer to me as a long-term expat, that's fine. I would get it, but I don't, I wouldn't use that terminology. I just feel like, yeah, I'm just living my life from place to place and, mm-hmm. and from year to year. And yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I have to constantly be thinking, oh, what is this? How does this relate to my Americanness or my passport? You know, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think about that too often.
0: And I think you... You are probably reflective of what we're seeing more and more in the quote unquote expat space of people who, who are self-initiated movers, right. Mm -hmm. In the sense that you were not necessarily tied to an entity or an agency or an employer to move. And I mean, there are people who start that way and then they change, but I think, you know, for the most part, this has been very much in your own hands, your own decision. Yeah what you wanted to do and so i wonder even w- with what you said i would have i wonder and i imagine you get a lot of people who still ask you well dana are you ever going to come back to the u.s that's probably oh americans <laughs> yeah 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 all the time i well maybe not all the time now because anybody who knows me knows i'm not
1: planning to come back because <laughs> they'd be like uh a, it's kind of a silly question why would i come back mm-hmm. at this stage but yeah i do get the question because i think people sometimes have this sense that it's just for a time, like being outside of the United States or even outside of any of your, whatever your home country is, it has to be temporary because where you're born is, you know, where you're kind of, for some reason, permanently tied. So this idea of, are you going to go back? Are you going to go back? Does often come up, but yeah, I, I, I don't, it's easy for me to answer that. That's one of the easiest questions I get. No, I'll go back to visit. <laughs> I, you know, I, I Of course, I'd love to visit my family. And it's important for me to maintain that connection and visit as often as I can. And my friends, of course. But in terms of living there, it's like the idea of that it doesn't even seem possible. It like, I wouldn't even know what, what part of the United States I would go back to. Cause none of that feels like home where I was born and raised was Philadelphia. I don't know Mm -hmm. anybody there anymore. There's no home there. Mm -hmm. My mom is based in Chicago and I do enjoy visiting her in Chicago. At work, you know, for the most part, but that's not home. And you know, that wouldn't be where I would go, go to, to live. My sister's on the East coast in New Jersey, unless I'm going to live in her basement, you know, (laughs) I don't feel like there's there, that's not home. So yeah, going back to the United States would pretty much be this, similar to moving to any other country where I would be starting over and creating a new life somewhere. And yeah, I don't I don't see myself doing that in a country that I, I don't enjoy living in, which is the United States.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's, that's really fascinating. And I think, and an interesting comparison, right, is that you have been out for so long and you have lived in at least three different other countries, right? Since you've been out, you know, obviously the UK, the Netherlands, Suriname, that it's funny, I think, for for some people, because they can hear you and be like, clearly she sounds American, but for them not to realize, but your experiences for a very long time have been outside of the country, right? And 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 I and and I think for some folks too, it's hard for them to conceive there not being a stopping date.
1: It's kind of like when you buy a a plane ticket and you want to get a round trip. And my tendency (laughs) almost all the time is to buy a one-way ticket, (laughs) you know, like, and I'll (laughs) figure it out once I get there, um, when, and if I'm going to come back. And that's kind of how I initially approached it. When I left, when I left in 2011, when I did move, I was going to school. I I went to the university of Amsterdam to do my master's and yeah, I bought myself a one-way ticket. And I decided I was going to figure it out from there and I haven't wanted to buy that ticket back. And I I think that that's the approach that I enjoy. I know I think some people do prefer to have like a plan in place, but I do enjoy living life a bit more free and, you know, open to possibilities and surprises and the idea that you don't know where you could end up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's just go for it. And yeah, the idea of not going back is more exciting than anything. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. Well, and here's the thing. I don't think a lot. I don't think if you haven't done an extended move either, it's hard to explain. But if you haven't lived somewhere for a very long time, it's foreign to you, irrespective if it is your passport country. It, and it doesn't even have to be your passport country. If you just have not been in that environment, you know, time stops nowhere. Right. Communities change, people change, politics changes, demographics change. And so even if you are in your same home country and let's say you lived in one part of it and then you moved to another part of that country and then you came back to your hometown, hometowns change, right? And so I think that when you are someone who is staying in that same environment, you see the changes, but you see them incrementally. So it's mm-hmm. like over time. So I don't think you feel them the same way, but if you've been out of the country and I, and here's the thing I, I would argue, it doesn't even have to be as long as you've been out. You could be out of a country three to six months, right? Yeah. And you come back and you're like, uh-huh. I don't even, I don't, what what's happening, right? And so I don't think that people also necessarily get all the time that for you, you know, I'm sure when you visit, you're like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is what it's like here," right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right.
1: yeah, yeah. Every time I come to the airport, actually, like when um, the previous president was was in office, and you know, in the airports when they have
0: the same a, <laughs> that like, to me? video, yeah. I, I or the, or, the photo, I, mean, the I think the photo. Yeah. yeah,
1: there's a video too. There or maybe that would just be like when the CNN news would be on. But I just know that I. <laughs> would i would have like a visceral reaction like i feel sick to my stomach like i don't want to be here i i don't and when i left obama was president so that was kind of like things were <laughs> ideal you know it's, it sounds crazy but i wasn't happy then either so imagine how much worse i got every time i visited it was just like progressively worse and yeah i i just was it was always kind of an affirmation like i'm i'm making the right decision by not living here
0: and And here's the thing, irrespective of one's political affiliation, it is still jarring to me whenever I travel and come back, and there's been a bit of sweat like so for me, right, and the thing is, I wasn't even gone as long. I was gone maybe six or seven months, and so my first flight back and i when I was living in Qatar, my first flight back to the u s you know when I left, there was one president. And when I came back, (laughs) there was a different president and and especially because we had one president for eight years. Right. So I I think this is just in any case, like you're used to like having someone for a long time or whatever. And and I and immediately I was like, oh, things have changed. And and that was in a way shorter amount of time than as time you've been out. And I think you can say this for for almost any group. It's one thing to be American from a identity standpoint or from like a legal standpoint, right? Like your nationality. And then it's one thing to be American. And once again, this cannot be applied to any, nat- any country from a cultural standpoint. Right, right. And then the layers that with that and that our cultural identities and reference points can shift as we move. Mm -hmm. or change or morph into something different that may be outside or atypical of where we come from. Mm -hmm. And that's not a visible thing. And I can imagine sometimes the reaction to you is from folks who don't, they haven't had that experience. So they don't know that if they don't know you, like, you know, you have slowly kind of moved in a different direction than maybe what they would expect because they hear an American accent. Oh yeah,
1: maybe, maybe so. I I will present myself pretty clearly up front. As mm-hmm. I, I mentioned earlier, I'm looking for a progressive community of Black women. Like
0: mm-hmm. I'm very
1: pro Black. I will speak very openly against the American government and uh, mm-hmm. the concepts of nationalism, colonialism. I'm always challenging British people on their mess. If if anybody knows me for more than ten minutes, <laughs> or you know, <laughs> if we really had a real conversation, at least. I don't think that they would be too surprised with the direction that I've moved in and how it feels for me to be out of the country versus inside the United States. I'm I'm relatively consistent in that regard, (laughs) (laughs) regarding my identity and my politics.
0: And I think that's a great segue into the work that you have been doing with Ancestors Unknown. Mm -hmm. And once again, for reference point, you who are listening are very welcome to returning to that first episode. Um, But for those who have never, who've never even heard of it or just being introduced very briefly, what is Ancestors Unknown once again?
1: I love it. Thanks for asking. Well, Ancestors Unknown is uh, now officially a social enterprise enterprise in the in the uk but i started it initially in the netherlands the idea is to educate young people and broader audiences as well about family history research and other untold histories so the idea of you know feeling like you don't have a sense of where you come from who your ancestors are and a sense of ownership over your own story this is something that black people throughout the diaspora often struggle with, especially if your ancestors survived slavery or colonialism or other forced migrations where your history has been taken from you. And this is something that we confront from a very early age. So what Ancestors Unknown is doing is working in schools, first and foremost, to provide teachers with the, the resources and the tools to bring young people's histories into the classroom giving young people the ability to research their family stories from from an oral history interview through archival research, through, through that documentation, researching their stories and then bringing them into the classroom, sharing them with each other, and then combining that with these other untold stories, these black and brown histories that are often left out of traditional history classes. And but these are the important stories that allow young people to put their own stories and their identities into a greater context of world history. So we're really trying to revolutionize how we teach history, how we learn history and how we personalize it and empowering young people to place themselves into, um, into history, into history books and history stories, stories about the past.
0: And I've always just kind of respected this work as someone who is a history geek anyway. And I think that <laughs> stories are important. I mean, part of the reason why I have a podcast is like I like hearing people's stories, right? So yeah, <laughs> this I is, this is not this is not far from it. And you were talking and I was reminded of since our interview, I interviewed a woman named Timkara Adun, who is Nigerian, who's an expat. And she started andounefe. I hope I'm saying it right. I always say pray I say it right. Which was looking at African stories and histories and languages, and where it was raised from was the fact that she 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 did not grow up as an expat. She did not become an expat until she was an adult, and she had her she has her kids, and they moved because of her uh, husband's uh, job situation, but. She wanted to make sure that they were imparted with some of their African, specifically West African, specifically Nigerian histories and languages and whatnot. Because, as you know, and and you would know this from your work, many of these stories, irrespective of your location, are not the majority stories told. They are not the things that are focused on. And then she added the component of folks who wanted to learn specific and various African languages from across the the continent. Yeah. yeah. And so some card part is actually of
1: me is- a very dear friend of mine. So there have you have go. To, like, flag that. Yeah.
0: So so I I'm I'm hearing the work you're doing and I'm hearing the work you're her, she's doing. And I'm thinking how important this is because if we aren't documenting and we're also not empowering, we're not even losing. We're we're not educating people on on some of the stories and the traditions that I think that would Not only enrich for their own identity, but also for the communities that they're around, and to understand how all of these stories are part of the, the fabric of 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 society. And so, it's amazing, and I'm excited that it's now it's a social enterprise in the UK. Because when you did this, as you mentioned, you started it in in the Netherlands, right? And so,
1: it started like I've you know, (laughs) it's been a side hustle for years, and I, I was always trying to find ways to make money while still bringing these untold histories into classrooms and kind of forcing this ideology on people, whether they wanted to pay for it or not. And now I've gotten to the point where the business has grown quite a lot in the Netherlands and, um, and here, you know, it's still in the early stages and still figuring out funding and it's, you know, it's going to always be, I shouldn't say it's always going to be a struggle, but it's, it's just, you know, it's still in the early stages of business development, but it's so much more stable. And now I'm full time doing it. I'm working with some freelancers. I have partners in the Netherlands who keep things going and, yeah, it's, it's, it feels really nice to say it's a solid business. I'm a CEO and, you know, I'm not just a hustler anymore.
0: (laughs) And, and, and part of the reason that's why I wanted to bring it up because you know, there's always these questions when people are living abroad, what are the different ways and what are the different things that they're doing in order to support themselves? And especially when they're self-initiated and, and what I like in telling your story, which is a little bit different than I think from others is that, yes, you've got, you know, you, you moved abroad on your own terms, but you have a social enterprise, right? So you're not just having a business, but you, you particularly created a business that was having an impact and a social impact, because sometimes I don't think we always think we can do that too. And, and you, I think you'd be the first person to say, it's not the easiest, right? And it has not been the easiest, but (laughs) to have a business, but also to have a business that has a social awareness, social justice, social good component to it. Mm-hmm. That's not something we always hear about. To be I fair, I mean,
1: even even for people who stay in their home <laughs> right. country, it's not it's not always it's not a <laughs> common path to choose. Right struggle for the for the benefit of wider society right a lot of people say like oh i know you didn't do this to get rich i'm like maybe i should have chosen something to get rich but yeah you know at the end of the day like i said i'm i stick to my politics and i you know for better or worse i i you know think my beliefs, like I I believe in this so strongly that I'm willing to face the, the challenges of it, uh, regardless of where I live, uh, to make it work. And I've even thought about, you know, I mentioned, I'm not sure if I'll stay in Bristol forever. Um, and wherever I move next, it's not a matter of, uh, you know, how will I find a job or what will I do there? It's, the place that I choose has to be somewhere where I can grow ancestors unknown. Like it'll just be. I consider ancestors unknown to be an international business. Now we have work in the Netherlands, work in in the UK, also work in Suriname. Mm-hmm. We're doing projects in Suriname, and then so I think okay, so maybe what I've been kind of playing with in my mind is maybe Portugal. So would ancestors unknown work in Portugal? I've also played with Rwanda. Would ancestors unknown work in Rwanda? So that so I I question that that's kind of one of my criteria for um my next movements of where will my business work where could i potentially grow this this organization and impact more people um be yeah, beyond where i've started it
0: i mean and i also think when we think about a digital nomad like <laughs> this is not what we think whatsoever and 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 here's the thing that's why i love the fact that it is it has all these components to it. You are totally digital, right? Like you are, yeah. I mean, you are running the office and you're running your business from wherever you are. Yeah. But it has a very different purpose than what everybody else is doing. Yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and this is me encouraging you because I know it's not always easy. Like, And here's the thing, social enterprise or not, running something globally by yourself or even with a team is still a lot of work.
1: It's so much work. Yeah. 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 Just, but That's what we sign up for.
0: Right. And everything's always a good idea in our heads. And then we're like, Oh no, I have to do this I know, every day. Oh wait.
1: And you don't get vacations that like that's. I mean, I guess when things get bigger, I'll be able to plan some vacations, but even when I'm traveling, I have to figure out how to continue working and, you know, nobody's, Nobody's paying for me to go on holiday, basically. So I have to think differently from you know what what would be a traditional nine to five type of mentality.
0: Right. No, yeah. I I love it. And if anyone knows me, I could wax all day poetic about the struggles of digital nomadness, running a business, running it solo, or even with people, running it across borders. <laughs> like right. that's a whole, that's a whole story situation, but. Yeah, as we start to wrap up though, I one of the things I, I wanna make sure um as as we're kind of looking ahead, what are you most excited about? Like what are the things that you sort of see coming in the forefront, whether it's professionally or personally that you are happy or excited or anticipating or hopeful about?
1: Oh, that's uh
0: it's a, loaded, it's a loaded question. <laughs> your friends are like, oh my God. Uh,
1: oh, okay, uh, happy. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, well, I kind of, I touched on it. I'm very joyful about Ancestors Unknown's progress, right? Like that is what I'm just so proud of the amount of movement that we've been able to make right now. If, if folks are listening to this who are anywhere near the Netherlands, Up until January, we have an exhibition that's at the City Archives in Amsterdam that is displaying the histories of Ancestors Unknown students. They're they're talking about the city of Amsterdam from the perspective of their personal histories. And, yeah, they've centered Ancestors Unknown. They've centered this idea of untold histories. And uh, that in itself is something I'm really proud of. But it also is sort of a, a, a... an open door of what else is possible that we could have these major institutions, these big money, traditionally white institutions centering black and Brown stories and, and ancestors unknown can be responsible for that. I'm super proud of it. Um, so that's happening in Amsterdam. And now I'm you know in, in conversations with, with, uh, potential partners here to make similar progress in Bristol and in England in general. So professionally, I feel like I'm on the threshold of something really big, and I, I just I hope that at some point, ancestors unknown will be a household name, and we will have really started to revolutionize education and also just the way people talk about their histories and their ancestors in general. So that's big time. Another part, another thing that I'm happy about: it, my my dog has probably been a pest to your editor and <laughs> maybe to your listener throughout this conversation, but she's one of my joys as well. When I, when I move, I've always been an animal lover and it's, I actually, before I, you know, figured out what my professional career path would be when I was growing up, I always thought I would be a veterinarian. I just am, I love animals so deeply. And when I moved Uh, I had a cat in 2011. I had my cat. She moved with me from New York to Amsterdam. And unfortunately, she passed away in 2013. And so that's been almost 10 years that I've lived without an animal. And I've felt a sense of lacking, you know, a sense of longing even to have that companionship. And so this year is when I adopted my very noisy dog (laughs) Trixie and which is also, uh, in a family, my, it's the name of my mom's childhood dog, uh, Trixie. So I found Trixie at a shelter in England or actually, no, she came from Wales and I saw that her name was Trixie. This is, uh, in January of this year. And I decided to adopt her, even though I didn't have all of the answers figured out of where I was going to be long-term or how I was going to make this work. I'm living in an apartment. I didn't know if it was the exact right thing to do, but that was my way, Amanda, in my special way of planting some roots. Like, I don't know what home is and I don't know where I'm going to be, but wherever my dog is at this point is, is what I'm going to consider to be home. So taking that step was sort of a commitment in a way. I know it might sound crazy to somebody who's not an animal lover, but making that choice uh, for myself, my own mental health even was uh, like for my own benefit to bring an animal into my life. And so, yeah, having Trixie by my side as noisy as she has been, throughout this conversation it has been such a um it's been such a blessing so i'm i'm excited about ancestors unknown and i'm excited about my life with my dog
0: and i think that that is a lovely lovely way to kind of close out this episode and so i am grateful for you and the dog (laughs) who's who's at this point part of the conversation (laughs) for joining me on the podcast it was so nice to kind of catch up and see where you are it's like you know it's it's sort of like how vh1 used to do where are they now oh, <laughs> and, and, so, and so now for those who were like <laughs> back in the day vh1 i now it's all like reality shows that none of us understand what's going on but anyway um <laughs> the heyday Right. But I appreciate you and the time you've taken. And if you're listening, you've definitely heard her work with Ancestors Unknown. We'll have the link up in the show notes if you want to see the work she's doing and continue to follow and support. But thank you again for coming on, Dana. Oh, it's such a
1: pleasure, Amanda. Thanks for inviting me back, too. I just want to say, you know, how proud I am of you and... I mean, when we we started working together with Black Expat and I was just writing, it was always such an important project that you started. And then to see your growth and and also the creativity you have to make this into the podcast that it is and then the growth of of, um, Global Chatter. I'm just like beyond proud of you. And I, I can't wait to see what you're doing next as well
0: yeah me too i can't wait to do this. <laughs> whatever comes up in my brain but thank you for being an early supporter and an early contributor um you're what you're one of the you're in the category of people that i always say you're one of the black expat ogs there's like a handful of you who've been around for a minute which i love bringing back because you guys all basically are in the same vibe you're just like yeah let me talk about the real about this <laughs> <laughs> let's bring so. it down You've just listened to an episode of The Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Ficcio. Don't forget to subscribe to The Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com.